Hey friend, this is going to be a weird episode. In my brain, I've got three thoughts that seem disconnected, like they're unrelated to one another, but over the next half hour, I hope to connect them in a way that makes sense for you so that you can see how they relate and how they can help you. Here they are. Thought biopsies. This is learning how to think about our thinking and decide if it's helpful or harmful, real or imagined, and what to do next. Goal posts. Changing how you think about what you're going through instead of just thinking about what you're going through. And patch base. Learning to actually take a thought and channel it where you allow it to go. What filters it goes through and how you will allow that thought to proceed into your heart and life. So there you go. We're going to take three ideas that seem unrelated, and we're going to tie them together in a way that helps you in your life. Listen, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and today we're doing some self-brain surgery to make things better. Are you ready to learn what thought biopsies, goalposts, and patch bays have to do with helping you become healthier, feel better, and be happier? Well, I hope so, because we're going to start today. Hey, are you ready to change your life? If the answer is yes, there's only one rule. You have to change your mind first. And my friend, there's a place where the neuroscience of how your mind works smashes together with faith and everything starts to make sense. That place is called self-brain surgery. You can learn it and it will help you become healthier, feel better, and be happier. And the good news is you can start today. Thanks, Lisa. Hey, so glad to have you listening today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I live in Nebraska in the United States of America with my incredible wife, Lisa, my father-in-law, Tata, and the super pups, Harvey and Lewis. I'm a neurosurgeon and an author, and I'm here to help you harness neuroscience, the power of your brain, faith, the power of your spirit, and good old common sense to help you lead a healthier, better, happier life. Listen, friend, you can't change your life until you change your mind, and I'm here to help you learn the art of self-brain surgery to get it done if you like the show. Please subscribe so you never miss an episode and tell your friends about it. If you tell two or three friends this podcast was helpful to you, imagine how much good we can all do around the world together. I'm Dr. Lee Warren, and I'm here to help you change your mind so you can change your life. Let's get after it. Yeah, I want you to go to the operating room with me for a minute. Not really. You might not want to do that. You might not be licensed to do that. <laughs> That's between you and the state regulatory agencies. But we're going to go to the operating room, and I just want you to understand what happens when I take somebody to the OR because I think they have a brain tumor. There's about 20 minutes between the time that I take a biopsy of the tumor, and then we send it down the hall to the pathology lab, and they chop it up and look at it under the microscope. And that 20 or 30 minutes often feels like the longest part of an operation because we're kind of just standing there. We're waiting. We're not sure what we're doing yet because we don't know for sure what we need to do next until we know what the diagnosis is. We need a diagnosis before we can take action. If it's cancer, then sometimes radical surgery is required. If it turns out to be benign, we we rejoice. We jump up and down. we're, We're happy for our patient and we close things up. If it's something in between, then we have to plan a course of treatment that will appropriately address the situation without causing other problems for the patient. Sure, I could just be super aggressive and treat every suspicious spot on everybody's MRI scan as if it were a grade 4 cancer. I could do radical surgery and remove the entire lesion completely and set the patient up for chemotherapy and radiation treatment, and I would absolutely never miss a malignant tumor that way. But if you think about it, I could do a lot of damage if I did that. 
I could do unnecessary surgery. I could create potential complications and all the worry and fear people would have to process when in reality they might not actually have cancer. And all the dollars and time we would spend on treatments and rehab and secondary issues from all of our interventions, many of which would never have been needed at all. No, we don't do that. We do biopsies, and we spend those minutes waiting on the answer because in brain surgery, we can't afford to be wrong when we take action. The pathologists have a saying, when tumor is the rumor, tissue is the issue. And we can never treat someone just because we think we know what's wrong. We have to actually know, and that requires tissue. Tissue is the issue, they say. We have to take a piece of it, grab a piece of the area in question, put it under the microscope, and thoughtfully and thoroughly examine it to determine its nature, to understand its behavior. And then we determine the best way to proceed in order to help our patient overcome the problem and go on with their life. Tissue is the issue. Now let me confess something to you. As much as I believe in the words that I just spoke to you, I don't always practice them well in my daily life outside the operating room. And I bet you don't either. Many times every day, something will happen around me. A friend makes a comment, my wife makes a decision, my colleague sends an email or a text, and I react to it based on the first thought that pops into my head about it. What does she mean by that? Why did he do that? Nobody ever listens to me. If you turn on any news channel or pull up any website, You'll see a host of people outraged about the latest thing that somebody tweeted or said. The world feels like it's on fire right now. Everybody's yelling at everybody. And it feels like those doomsday preppers might not be so crazy after all. We receive text messages, and we try to interpret the intent behind them. We spend hours frustrated with someone, only to have it clear up immediately when we finally talk to them about it. And they say, oh, I left a word out of that text. Here's what I meant to say. Over and over again in my life and in the world around me, I'm convinced that one of the biggest reasons people aren't happy is that they've never learned the secret the pathologist taught me back in medical school. Tissue is the issue. If we're doing radical surgery every time we're offended by a word or a perceived slight, then we're going to have a problem. If we're protesting in our cities and blocking the streets every time a political opponent sends a tweet we don't like, we're going to have a problem because we're reacting Instead of responding, we're treating every spot, every offense, every thought that pops into our heads like it's a dangerous and scary cancer. And we're doing surgery when we don't have to far too often. And just like that would kill my patient more often than it would help them in the real world, this is hurting our society, it's hurting our hearts, it's hurting our lives and our relationships more than it's helping anybody. Listen, this is a simple message, friend, but it can and it will change your life if you learn it. If we can learn to take a quick thought biopsy before we take action on every stupid thought, as Daniel Amen said, that pops into our heads, we will radically improve the quality of our lives, our relationships, and our work. And I hope in these few minutes we have together this morning to convince you that your gut reaction to your first thought is so often wrong that it's almost self-malpractice to listen to those first thoughts. But if you learn to practice self-brain surgery, if you learn the thought biopsy technique, then you can respond to those thoughts properly instead of just reacting to them. And this is how you avoid saying and doing things that make the problem worse instead of better. If you discipline yourself to follow the thought biopsy technique, take that thought that pops into your head, look at it under the microscope, determine the nature of it, and decide how you want to respond instead of reacting. 
learn what to do when you've identified harmful thinking, that is the first secret to learning how to control your mind instead of letting it control you. I'm always saying you can't change your life until you change your mind, and the thought biopsy is the first step. And now we're going to talk about goalposts. Hey, I know that a lot of people that listen to this podcast are not in the United States, so I shouldn't assume that everybody knows what a goalpost is. But in this context, I'm talking about in American football, a goalpost is the U-shaped metal post in the end zone that the kicker has to kick the ball through to score either three points for a field goal or one point for what they call an extra point after a touchdown. The goalpost represents a target, something the kicker is striving for, a goal. That's why they call it a goal post. And metaphorically, the expression is used, at least in the United States, to denote something that you have your sights set on, something you're striving for. A goal post can mean a set of expectations or assumptions that you have about where your life is going. And it's those assumptions, those expectations, that can cause us a lot of trouble because it's the things we think we know that create doubt when life challenges them. So one of the keys to making your heart and your brain more resilient to the strain of some of the things life can bring is to make sure that your goalposts aren't things that can be destroyed or easily taken away from you. I've seen so many people whose quality of life was wrecked by another person's failure or infidelity or abuse or death, whose hearts were destroyed by their illness or accident or disability, even if they survived or recovered from those things. And the question is, why do some people seem to have hearts and spirits and faith that can thrive despite those hard things, and other people seem to have been a house of cards, blown over when anything difficult comes along, like the little children's song I talked about last week when the foolish man's house went splat. And I would suggest to you today that the difference is all about where those people set their goalposts. What do I mean? This is what Jesus was talking about in Matthew six nineteen through 21 in the Bible. Here's what he said. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now this does not mean, listen to me, As my dad would say, look in my eyes. (laughs) This does not mean we shouldn't care about things or people here. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't value our lives. It means that our perception of the quality of our lives shouldn't be structured around things or people always staying the same because they do not. Things change. Investments go bad. People die. They leave. They change. They lie. They grow apart. They move. They become demented. Houses burn down. Governments become corrupt. People get cancer. Your heart gives out, arteries clog, you get older and weaker, and the second law of thermodynamics, my friend, continues to prove true over and over and over. Life generally goes towards disorder over time. If you don't believe that, look at your knees 20 years from now. So if we need things to stay the same, or if we think that another person or a bank account balance statement can make us happy, or if our time in the half marathon is what gives us value, then our foundation isn't very solid because those things are going to change. There's a chapter in the Bible in the book of Colossians, chapter 3, that for me, now again, you don't have to be spiritual to think about these things, but the the point holds. Colossians chapter 3, he says this, since you've been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven 
where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. But now's the time to get rid of anger, rage, malicious behavior, slander, and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you've stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your Creator and become like Him. You see what he's talking about? He's saying, don't think about life being all there is. Think about the fact that you've got another life, something else higher to strive for, and that that striving, that different set of goals are more permanent and more 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 gooder, as they say it in Alabama. <laughs> they're better, that's what I'm trying to say. Those goals are better, and they're more permanent. They're stronger. They're not going to change over time. So set your sights on those, and then change your life to aim higher than just the things here. And in doing so, things will change you. Those things will change you. He says, since God chose you, you must clothe yourselves with mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So he's saying, okay, get out of the muck. Don't don't live in a way that's all about, oh boy, I, I better fight for every penny. I better hold on to this relationship as tightly as I can. I better define my life in the context of this other person. No, it's beautiful and wonderful to have a relationship that lasts your whole life. And that's what God intends in a marriage. And it's beautiful and wonderful to be financially sound and, and solid and fiscally a good steward of the things that God gives you. Those are good things. But you can't base your hope and your peace and your strength of your life on those things because they can fail. They can crumble. You can lose them. The stock market can crash. So he's saying if you're going to really enjoy life here, then don't have your quality of life be tied to any particular possession or other person. Have it be tied to something permanent, the character and quality of your life. Clothe yourself with better things. And then he says, that should change the way we treat other people. Make allowance for each other's faults, it says in verse 13. Forgive anyone who offends you. Because the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive other people. Remember the thought biopsy a while ago? If we're all about reacting to everything that happens around us, somebody offends you and you jump and destroy them and it makes you feel better to wipe them out with your words, that's not a very happy way to live. Because the problem is if you're easily offended, there is no shortage of things that can offend you. But if you want to have a more resilient heart, then learn how to be not easily offended. Biopsy that thought. Give the person the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's having a bad day is why he said that. Or maybe I misunderstood his text. I need to ask him face-to-face what he meant by that. Most of the time, it'll turn out differently than your emotional gut reaction led you to think it was going to turn out if you learned to biopsy that thought. But moving the goalpost away from, I have to fight and scrap and and dominate every moment of this life because it's all I've got. Move that goalpost, and all of a sudden you start thinking differently. And he says, Always be thankful. Let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Let the message about Christ and all its richness fill your lives and teach and counsel each other with the wisdom he gives you. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankful hearts. So you see the idea here is, and again, this doesn't have to be spiritual. I'm talking about setting your sights on something other than the momentary things that can change and crumble around you in your life. Change the target of what you're striving for as an individual person, what your character and your heart are about in this life. And those goalposts changing will change how you behave and change how you interact with others, and it will protect your heart from the transience and temporary nature of life. 
It's about moving the goalposts. It's about building your life on something other than how people and events play out. Instead, you're building it on how you play the game. This is actually neuroscience because in neuroscience we know that changing the target of what you think about helps you deal with the now by thinking about something else, by by allowing your brain to think different thoughts and you're in control of that. That's the secret to surviving life and the hardships that come along in it. Now, I always talk to people about residency training. And I, I used to tell the junior residents, look, come into residency, understand that it's a game. They're going to try to dehumanize you. They're going to beat on you. They're going to break you down. They're going to try to make you feel stupid. And that's what they do in residency training. They just are terrible. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about my old professors, but that, but the game that's being played is they want to break you down so they can build you up. They want to take away your sense of of worth almost, of knowledge, so they can teach you what you need to know to be a safe surgeon. And it's a hard process. And same thing in basic training and officer training school in the military. They strip you down. They try to beat the the sense of individuality out of you so they can turn you into a unit. And they, they beat on you. And if you understand going in that that's a game that's being played, then you can rise above it in your mind. You can see the things for what's actually happening around you. And every time somebody's beating on you or being inappropriate to you or harassing you or giving you a hard time, you can either be offended and fight it and file an HR report and go through all that whole thing of of being offended for the whole time you're trying to train, or you can just play the game. And you can say, I see what's happening here. Because the truth is, the day you graduate, they shake your hand and say, you did a great job. You're the best surgeon we ever trained. You're the best officer we ever trained. When you get to the end and the game is over, The mask comes off and you see it for what it really is. So I'm here to say, change your goalposts now. You change those targets of what you're thinking about to help you deal with the now by thinking about the then. That's the secret to surviving basic training, residency, graduate school, temporary marital problems, cancer, grief, everything. Moving the goalposts. That's how science of your brain works. You say, you know what? This thought that's a that's happening to me right now, this this event or this thing I'm going through, I can think about it in a different way. I can control how I process my thoughts and therefore my emotions and my feelings about that will follow and so will my brain chemistry. You move that target and things get better. It doesn't have to be religious, but I use the scripture to show you how I look at it. But in any context, the secret to learning to handle disappointment or trouble is to simply move the goalposts. You focus on something bigger, more solid, more unchanging, or more in your own control, like your growth and your development over time. The spiritual applications of these things, in my opinion, are how you take it from being 10% happier, as Dan Harris would say, to being infinitely happier. If you, if you learn how to take this into your spirit and into your heart, your whole life can become better and richer and fuller. If you learn to think about your thinking and move the goalposts to something bigger and stronger and more permanent. This is where the idea of the patch bay comes in. Do you know what a patch bay is? Basically, a a patch bay is a piece of equipment that allows me to connect all the gear in my studio, the gear that you're listening to right now, to, to each other in a way that I can change it without having to rewire the whole studio. So basically, when I speak into this microphone, it's plugged into... A patch bay, and in the back of that patch bay, there's a cable that goes up to a preamp that amplifies the signal, 
And then in the back of the preamp, there's an input where my microphone cable's going in. And there's an output, and that output is going into recorder that goes into the computer. But when Lisa talks, her voice is different than mine, and she actually sounds better through a different preamp. So if I want to run this microphone through a different preamp so that her voice sounds as good as it can sound, then I either have to, if I don't have a patch bay, then I've got to crawl behind the desk of my studio and unplug a cable and plug it somewhere else to get that signal to go where I need it to go. And that's a lot of work. So if I don't have a patch bay, then every time I want to change how something sounds, I've got to basically rewire my entire studio. It's a mess, and it takes a lot of time. So the patch bay, basically I set it up where all of the gear is plugged into the back of the patch bay. All the inputs and all the outputs go into the back of the patch bay. Then on the front of the patch bay, there's a whole bunch of empty jacks. And I have a map of where those jacks go. And then I can plug in any piece of gear, a microphone or a cable of different sorts, a guitar, for example, into the front of the patch bay. And depending on which jack I plug it into, that front connects to a back that goes into some other piece of gear. So all I have to do if I want to change preamps or change microphones is just plug a cable in the front into a different slot. And because I know the map then I'll know where that slot is going to take that signal. So I can change where a particular signal goes and what happens to it over time so that my voice can be as good as it can be or Lisa's voice can sound better or I can get a guitar in there or some other instrument or some other person. So if I have a guest on the podcast, I can bring up another microphone and we can both be speaking into it and I can route those signals everywhere they need to go. And the whole point of me talking about patch bays is that I want you to think about the fact that if you learn how to do a thought biopsy before you react to every thought that pops into your head, and once you learn to move the goalposts so that your expectations are more controllable and solid, then you can make a sort of mental patch bay to learn how to reroute your thoughts into healthier channels with better outputs. This is basically the point of Eastern meditation. Those guys, they talk about this idea of putting a filter, a space between stimulus and response in your brain to basically learn that they focus on stillness so they can understand what their thoughts are and then decide how they want to respond to those thoughts. And spiritual folks like me believe that this is where you find that quiet enough to hear God's voice because the Bible says that God speaks in a still, small voice. The idea is basically the same. With a patch bay in my studio, I can change the electrical signal that a path takes and thus control the outcome. And changing how you think about what you think about and changing what you think about literally changes the chemical environment in your brain that produces real changes in your physiology, your mood, and your affect. And those things change how you feel, which will change how you act. And also, on the other hand, you can change how you feel by acting first. As Tony Robbins says, if you want to feel better, do better. So you can patch in different behaviors that will change your baseline emotional state and mood, which will help you become more resilient and happier and healthier. When my next book comes out in a couple of months, I'm going to be doing some public speaking around the message. And in fact, you can contact me to discuss speaking at your event or your church by going to my website, www.wleewarrenmd.com. 
But I woke up the other day and it kind of dawned on me that if I could only give one talk out of my book, I've seen the end of you, if I could only give one speech around that, here's what it would be. The example I got, really the idea came from the book of Lamentations in the Bible. The prophet Jeremiah is going through a really hard time, a real hard time, not an imaginary one, but like the, the enemies at the gate kind of hard time. It's real. And he's in a bad way. And in Lamentations 3, he finds himself crushed by life to the point of saying this, starting in verse 18. Here's what Jeremiah said. Failed, I say to myself. My hope fails in the face of what God has done. Grievous thoughts of affliction and wandering plague my mind. Great bitterness and gall. Grieving, my soul thinks back. Notice, he's saying thinking. My soul thinks. I'm having thoughts. And he says, grieving, my soul thinks back. These thoughts cripple and I sink down. Notice this. Jeremiah is having some insight here that's actually really brilliant neuroscience insight thousands of years ago. It wasn't the events that were crushing him. He's still well and alive. He's breathing and he's got a pen in his hand or whatever he used, a quill, and he's writing about it. So he's alive and he's well enough that he's sitting there ruminating about what he's thinking about. It's the thoughts that are wiping him out, not the actual thing. Remember last week, I talked about my old psychiatry professor, the late Dr. Gordon Deckert. Dr. Deckert said, the feeling is not the fact and the fantasy is not the act. Jeremiah is thinking and feeling, and he's losing hope. But he does a little home brain surgery next, and he decides that he's going to take control of his brain and his heart by choosing what to think about, something bigger and larger than the event that he's going through. In the ESV, he says this. After all those previous statements, he says, But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Look at that. He's using a patch bay. He says in in the voice translation, gaining hope, I remember and wait for this thought. New Living Translation says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. And what does he remember? What gives him hope? The last part of the chapter, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. So look at what's happening here again. It doesn't have to be spiritual. I'm using a spiritual example, but the the point holds. He biopsies his thought. He recognizes that he's alive and well, but he's thinking bad thoughts, and he's ruining himself, and his hope is plummeting, and he decides to move the goalposts. He uses a patch bay to reroute those hopeless thoughts, and he says, I dared to hope. Sometimes life is so hard that even choosing to hope seems like a huge gamble, like daring to hope might be too much because life just might hurt us again. But that's the difference between simple meditation and thought control and secular motivational writing and speaking and what I prefer to do, which is to have faith. With faith, when we dare to hope, we get something solid. The bottom holds. It's solid there, and we can stand up on it and count on it. And that, my friend, is a powerful Revelation. And that's the power of the thought biopsy, of moving the goalposts, of learning to use mental patch base. Those things help you dare to hope. And hope is the first dose of the drug that can save your life, or at least the quality of it, when it seems too hard, when things seem too dark, when you don't think you can. Hope says try anyway. Fear will tell you no. Faith will tell you yes. Listen, you can't change your life until you change your mind. 
And today I've given you three tools to help get that done. If you take note of your thoughts and don't just react to them, biopsy them, look at them under the microscope, understand what they are, where they're coming from, and take control. And then move the goalposts of your life away from things that can hurt you because they fail and move it towards things that are more permanent and more structurally sound. And then learn to patch your thoughts and your feelings into healthier channels And you'll be a home brain surgeon in no time. And this is how you dare to hope, my friend. And I want you to start today. Hey, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the show so you automatically get every episode. And if you like the show, you'll love my weekly letter. Check out my writing at drleewarren.substack.com, drleewarren.substack.com. Get the free newsletter every week for my best prescriptions for becoming healthier, feeling better, and being happier through the power of faith and neuroscience smashing together via self-brain surgery, drleewarren.substack.com. And if you need prayer, go to the prayer wall at wleewarrenmd.com slash prayer. The theme music for the show is Make Us One by Tommy Walker, graciously provided for free by the great folks over at tommywalkerministries.org. Check it out and consider supporting them, tommywalkerministries.org. Remember, you can't change your life until you change your mind. And the good news is you can start today. I'm Dr. Lee Warren. I'll talk to you soon. God bless you, friend. Have a great day.